All right, we're in week five of our series, Unlikely Hero. And uh, last week, I introduced our next unlikely hero. His name is Gideon. And uh, he was just a young man. He lived in a time period um, after the Exodus when judges ruled the land. And at this point in Israel's history, uh, the Amalekites and the, the Midianites were causing destruction throughout the land. They would come in and they would rob their crops and kill their cattle and steal their food and the children of Israel were really struggling as they've moved into the, the, you know, the promised land, the land of Canaan, and now you know, they don't have anything to eat. And uh, as we learned, the people were very distraught, and they cried out to God, and he answered their prayers. And he spoke to a young man named Gideon through an angel and uh, asked him to lead the charge to defeat their enemies. Now, if you remember from last week, Gideon wasn't a warrior. Gideon wasn't a military man. There was nothing special about Gideon. He was just your average, normal, ordinary guy. He was probably raising a, a, a slew of kids. Uh, he was just trying to put food on the table and take care of his family. He wasn't a person that was known for his courage or his faith. And when God chose Gideon, Gideon's response was basically, God, you got the wrong guy. You ever been there? When, when you feel the Lord calling you to do something, you say, Lord, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong gal here. I, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the right position. I don't have the right background. I don't have the right training to be able to do this. Well, that was kind of the situation that Gideon was in. He was like, Lord, you got the wrong guy here. Now, when I picture Gideon, I picture him as an average farmer, uh, probably dirty clothes, uh, worn out boots, a dusty hat. If he's a good farmer, it's a green hat. If he's not a good farmer, it's probably a red hat. <laughs> Those from up north will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I grew up on a farm in northeast Ohio. Uh, we, we raised uh, just enough cattle and, and you know, pork and stuff for our own consumption. Then we, but we were soybean, wheat, and corn farmers. Uh, in the summer, we planted a large garden and canned all the fruits and, and vegetables and things like this. It was hard work. It was an honest living. And that's, that's kind of how I view Gideon. I view him as, as a man that just kind of grew up in the farm and just, just worked hard and did what needed to be done to take care of his family. There was nothing about him that would make him stand out. And yet we know that God, out of all the people, selected him. So in Judges chapter 6, verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said to Gideon, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, once you've, hear, once you've heard God speak to you, then What? You know, what, what do you do once you've heard God clearly communicate, this is what I want you to do, and you're like, okay, I've heard you, but now what do I do? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So let's pray together, and uh, then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and uh, God, we want to hear from you today. Lord, these good folks have come today to hear from you, not from me. So God, I pray that I would fade into the background, and God, as we read your word this morning, that you would open eyes and ears and hearts to the truth you'd have us to receive. God, I believe that uh, you're calling unlikely heroes today. God, I believe that you're just as actively involved in the world today as you were thousands of years ago, and you're still calling people. 
you're still choosing and selecting people to serve you, to do great things in your kingdom. And so, God, I pray that if there are some unlikely heroes here this morning that, uh, God, you're speaking to, that you would just tap them on the shoulder. God, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would help them to be willing to say yes. And uh, so, God, we just dedicate these next few moments unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. So God had selected Gideon. Now what? Well, let's, let's pick it up in verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Now this is really interesting. God called him to go and defeat the Midianites and the Amalekites. He just called him to this big charge. Now he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and take a stand for me there. Now, if you were Gideon, how would you feel about this? I'd be like, oh man, really? Home to my family? I got to go home to my family? You know, it's so much easier to take a stand for God around people you don't know than it is to take a stand in front of your family. Why is that? Well, probably because your family has seen the real you, right? You, you let your guard down a little bit at home. You're a little bit more relaxed. And so they've seen the real you. Perhaps it's hard to take a stand for God in your family because your family has a strong tradition, maybe that runs contrary to your new belief system. And so if you break with that tradition, your family, your family maybe they won't accept you because you've kind of made some significant changes. Or maybe your family borders on being heathen. And they're one step ahead of the law. And uh, you know your family's day is coming. That one day you're going to turn on the TV. And they'll be on Jerry Springer or a special edition of Cops. And you know it's coming. <laughs> you're just waiting. I don't know what's going on in your family. But I know this. God tells Gideon, I want you to go home. I want you to start there. So God wants us to be faithful at home. He wants you to be a person of honor and integrity. He wants you to set a godly example in the house, in the way that you treat the spouse, in the way that you rear your children, in the way that you handle your finances, in the way that you talk to your neighbors, and the way that you honor God with the blessings that he's given in your life. But Gideon had a problem. Gideon's dad was an idolater. Gideon's dad had built an altar to Baal right on his property. And right next to the altar of Baal, he'd put this Asherah pole up. These were, these were ancient Canaanite gods. Uh, Asherah uh, was actually, supposedly, Baal's not only his wife, but also his mother. So it's kind of weird. Um, just leaving that there. Um, so here, you know, Gideon's own father had built an altar to Baal and to Asherah. Now, when the children of Israel came into the promised land after the Exodus, they'd come through the, come through the Dead Sea, they'd, 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 they'd been in the wilderness, they'd been uh, into the, the land, and they were shepherds. They weren't farmers. 
And so they get into this new land that's flowing with milk and honey and there's, and there's all kinds of greenery and growth and you plant things and they actually grow. This was new to the Hebrew nomads. This wasn't what they were accustomed to. And the people in the land where they went, the Canaanites, well, they said, well, we have this, this great fertility because of, because of Baal, the fertility god. And so before long, the children of Israel began to wonder, well, could could Yahweh God also be able to make crops grow? You know, I mean, as well as clearly Baal has done. And so before long, they began to think, well, I don't know if, I don't know if Yahweh is going to be able to produce the fertility that we need to produce these crops the way that Baal has. So maybe we should worship God and Baal. Now, God had warned the children of Israel against this. He said, don't do this. Do not get sucked into worshiping false idols. But the reality is the pull of the world, the pull of culture is strong. This pull that says, you know, hey, just do things our way. Hey, look at the way that we're doing things. It works. And unfortunately, that's what began to happen. And before long... Gideon's own father had set up this, this altar to Baal. And of course, Yahweh God saw this and he said, listen, before we move on, you cried out to me. You're tired of the oppression of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the enemies of God. You've cried out to me, but before we move forward, we've got to go home and remove the idols from your front yard. Verse 24. God said to Gideon, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now, how do you think that's going to go over with Gideon's father? And how do you think that's going to go over with his brothers and the rest of his family? This is going to be a big deal. This is going to make a big splash. This is going to be one of those family-defining moments, Right? This is one of those that 20 years down the road, they're going to be sitting at Thanksgiving and they're going to say, you remember when Gideon cut down dad's altar and knocked down the totem pole? You know, this is going to be a big deal. The question is, does Gideon have the courage to do it? Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night, rather in the daytime. Well, he mustered up the courage to go and tear down the altar. He got his buddies. They snuck around, and they tore down the altar. God didn't say it had to be done in the daylight, and he did it at dark, so that, you know, no problem there. But we know this. This is going to be front-page news when the sun comes up. This is, this is going to be a big deal. Gideon was dealing with the altar um, at his father's house. And I wonder how many idols have taken root in our front yards. I wonder what things need to be uprooted in our family before God can do a significant work in us or through us. I'm going to meddle here for just a little bit, so please don't throw anything at me. We can shake our heads at the foolishness of the people in Gideon's day. I mean, to us, it just sounds absurd. 
they built an altar after all that God had done, after they had seen him lead them through the Red Sea, after they'd seen his provision in the wilderness, after he delivered them into the promised land, after all that God had done, now they built an altar to Baal? Like, are you kidding me? How foolish could they be thinking that some idol was going to bring them good fortune or bountiful crops or peace or fulfillment? But before we judge them too harshly, how many times in our own lives, with our lust and our greed and our, our own desires, do we not turn to false idols looking for peace and security and success and happiness? There's nothing wrong at all for us to, for wanting love and protection and provision, success, and happiness. These things are all good. The question is, where are you looking to have these desires met? You see, anytime we look anywhere other than to God to have these desires met in our lives, we run the real possibility of creating idols in our own lives. These things that grab our attention, that hold our attention, that demand our allegiance, <clears throat> These things that creep in and influence us in a significant way, yet we don't happen to see it. Things like television and iPads and iPhones and any kind of screen device that all of a sudden begins to command our attention and that we get noticed that you've spent three hours, you've spent six hours, you've spent 10 hours, you've spent 20 hours this week looking at a screen. You see, that's what idols do. They grab our attention and they draw us in. And the way the culture of the world is, we start handing them to our kids by the time they're three years old. And our kids grow up looking nonstop at screens and they're hooked for life. Now, I'm not here coming against screens and devices and things like this, but I'm saying you need to be careful what your eyes are pouring into your heart on a daily basis. Because things like this can become idols in our lives. One day, Gideon and his family were worshiping Yahweh God. And then one day... Gideon's father thought, hmm, maybe we should put an altar to Baal. Oh, and we might as well put an Asherah pole there as well. How does this kind of stuff happen? Well, when you have a steady stream of godless content that gets piped into our heads on a daily basis, these things can happen. And we look in our own country and we see people by the droves deconstructing their faith. How does that happen? People walking away from God and church and the Bible say, how does that happen? Well, it can happen the same way it happened in Gideon's family, and it, can, and it can happen in ours. We must be careful of idols. Anything that can become an obsession in our hearts. God said, Gideon, I want to use you to do something big in my kingdom, but before I do, you've got to go home and clean up your house. I'm not talking, I'm not talking like the, you know, the, just the 
surface clean, you know, like we got company coming over, so stuff tough in the closets and under the bed and, you know, in the drawers. And then when the company comes over, don't open that door. Don't, don't look in there, you know. I'm talking about the deep clean. When you pull everything out of the closet and everything out of the cupboards and everything out of the drawers and you start from scratch. Sometimes I think we need to go home and do a deep clean in our lives and clear out things that have just pulled us away from God. Maybe some things that have become a bit of an an idol in our lives. Things that you didn't realize it, but it's really began to command your time and your energy and your finances. It's the thing that you think about. It's the thing that you dream about. It's the thing that you want to talk about when you meet a friend for coffee. It's, it's, it's all of a sudden, it's this thing that, that it's just pulled you in. And now you're no longer talking about God. You're no longer talking about doing what he wants you to do in life. You're talking about whatever this idol is. God says, be careful. Now, I'm not going to play the role of the Holy Spirit here this morning. If he wants to alert you to an idol in your life, he'll do it. He'll just put that thought in your mind right now. He'll put it in your heart and you'll go, you know what? I'm probably spending too much time with this. Too much time doing that. Too much attention placed on this. That's between you and God. I'm just here to preach the word. And, uh, but if the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart and say, you know what, there's some th- I'd like to use you, but there's some things that I might want to clean out in your life, just obey God's voice as Gideon did. Let's continue in our story. Verse 28. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. I told you this was gonna be big news, right? The people were angry, and they demanded that Joash, which was Gideon's father, bring out his son so that the people could kill him. They cried, he must die. So I guess Gideon had good reason to be a little bit afraid, right? Can I just say that you can expect opposition whenever you do what the Lord says to do? When God leads you to do something, you need to understand that it is not going to be uncommon if you face opposition. And interestingly, it wasn't the Canaanites that were calling for Gideon's death. It was their God, Baal, right? Their God, Asherah. But it wasn't the Canaanites that were calling for Joash to kill his son. It was the Israelites. Let me put it in modern context. It wasn't the people outside the church that wanted him dead. It was the people inside the church that wanted him dead. And if you take a strong stand for God... On any particular hot-button issue of the day, I can tell you you're going to catch fire from both inside the church and outside the church. It's just the way things are going today. And there are more and more hot-button issues that we're facing on a daily basis. Can I just say, now that we're kind of through it, that the, the last two years going through COVID, it was not fun being up here, okay? You know, because you had people on one side saying we need to do this and people on that side saying we need to do that and nobody was happy and uh, it was not, it was not fun. And uh, you know what? That's going to happen 
in the world, and there are going to be people that if you take a stand for God, they're going to be against what you are being led to do. Move forward and do what God calls you to do regardless. And the sad thing is, it doesn't even matter if you can point to chapter and verse about, hey, this is what God's word said, because people will disregard it. The people of Gideon's day had the law. They had experienced God's deliverance from Pharaoh. Their ancestors had crossed the Red Sea. They'd spent their 40 years in the wilderness. They'd now been delivered into the promised land, the land that was flowing with milk and honey. They had arrived. This was the moment they had been waiting for. And how quickly they had forgotten God's very clear command. God had warned them not to get sucked into worshiping false idols. I want to go back and I want to show you the warning, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. Look at this. If your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you saying... Let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. Now can I ask you, could God have been any clearer? I mean, it doesn't get much more black and white than what God said. He says, listen, when you get over there, there are going to be people that are going to entice you to worship false idols. Don't do it. Don't get drawn into it. In fact, if somebody does, I don't even care if it's your wife, your kids, if they do it, you have to kill them. But they had gotten so sucked into the Canaanite culture that they could no longer distinguish between right and wrong. In fact, they actually did the exact opposite thing of what God said to do, didn't they? Instead of killing the person who built the, the altar to Baal, they wanted to kill the one who had torn down the altar to Baal. You know, it's not too different from the culture we live in today where right is called wrong and wrong is called right. Taking a stand for God in a pagan culture comes at a price. Taking a stand for God and taking a step of faith can be scary. It was scary to Gideon and it'll probably be scary to you. If God is calling you to do something, leading you to do something, there's probably going to be some fear there. There's probably going to be some, this is not going to be easy. 
And maybe it isn't even some big thing that God's asking. Maybe it's just something as simple as telling your friends about Christ. Maybe you've, in the last five years, put your faith in Christ, and now you've got some old friends, but you haven't had the courage to tell them that you've put your faith in Christ. Maybe it's simple as, as simple as having the courage to open your Bible when you sit at a Starbucks. Maybe it's not having the courage to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Maybe you just don't have the courage to invite your neighbor to church because what if they say no? Well, so what? They said no. You know, at least you invited them, right? Here's the truth. There's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. No growth in the comfort zone. When you are just floating downriver, it's easy to just kind of just kind of float your way through. But when you go against the stream, well, that's where the growth happens, but also that's where the opposition comes from. And God may lead you to make some uncomfortable decisions. He may move you. He may ask you to go somewhere. He may ask you to leave something you love. He may ask you to leave a job that you don't want to leave. He may ask you to give up something that you don't want to give up ask you to surrender something you have no desire to let go of. May I ask you to do something that triggers fear in your life. You know, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of a man of faith and a man of courage. We think of a man's man, right? When I think of Paul, I, I, that's who I think of. But let me read to you what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Writing to the people of Corinth, he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I have proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at this. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. When I read that text, you know what I hear? I hear Paul saying, I was scared to death to stand up in front of you and say what God had called me to say. Because I wasn't a good public speaker. I wasn't eloquent. I wasn't particularly smart. I wasn't going to impress anybody with my wisdom. I was scared to death standing in front of you. That's the Apostle Paul. And yet God used him. He said, God used me because it was never about my eloquence, my power, my wisdom. It was that God came through because God's the one that's going to do the work. What would you do if God called you into a, a role like this. Maybe you were a teacher, a preacher, maybe a pastor, a missionary. Maybe God is going to use you in the second half of your life to do something far more significant than he did in the first half of your life. But you've been hesitant. You've been resistant. Do not let fear hold you back from doing what God has called you to do. Amen? Paul was scared to death. Move forward. You don't have to impress people with your Bible knowledge and all that you know. 
Just be you. Just be you. Tell your story. Be who God made you to be. Talk the way you normally talk. Don't try and talk like somebody else. Tell your story. I believe that God can do significant work through even timid believers who are just willing to say yes to God and give their life to him. You don't have to be bold. You don't have to be an extrovert. I think we see here that God used Gideon, and Gideon was the least of the least in his family. He didn't stand out from the crowd. In fact, this entire series is about unlikely heroes, people that you wouldn't ordinarily pick out of a crowd as, oh, that's a leader, and that's a leader, and that's a leader. God usually picked the one that people didn't expect and said, I'm going to use them. That's who God likes to use. And I believe that the Lord led me to lead this series because I believe that God is going to use some of you as unlikely heroes to do something significant in these days. That's what I'm praying. And I'm hoping that you'll have the courage to say yes to God. Let's continue on. The people were ready to kill Gideon. And so Gideon's dad, Joash, said, hey, listen. Unfortunately, his dad didn't do what the people wanted him to do. Joash said, hey, listen, if, if, if Baal's got a problem with what Gideon did, let Baal deal with it. If he's God, he can deal with him. And the people said, all right, that makes sense. And so, so that's how that story ended. <laughs> Picking up in verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He blew a trumpet, summarizing, uh, summoning uh, the Beazrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling to arms and also to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali so that they went up to meet them. Now, once the idol was removed and God was ready to work, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he just knew what he needed to do next. So the armies had come together. They were about to, to come against the children of Israel and he just knew he blew the trumpet and he, and he, and he gathered the different tribes of, of Israel together and the people were all coming and it was just like he knew what he was supposed to do and everything was falling in place. And then Gideon started to have doubts. Maybe you can relate to him. He wanted to make sure he was hearing from God and not just having a regurgitation from last night's pizza. So let's see what happens here. Verse 36, Gideon said to him, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose, and early the next day, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now, Instead of taking God at his word, Gideon asked God to perform some parlor tricks to make sure that he was hearing from God. I'm going to go on record and say, I don't believe that what Gideon did was right here. God's word is sufficient. If you remember what he said? If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. He already had God's word, right? God had already promised. God had already told him what to do. 
Listen, you shouldn't expect God to show you any additional signs in order for you to be willing to obey. Our answer is yes. Simply trust God and take him at his word. Because Gideon was not seeking to know God's will, God had already made his will known to him. God had made it very plain. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon was trying to get out of his calling. Gideon was trying to look for an escape clause to what God had called him to do. One of the commentators I I read said this, Daniel Block, he wrote this. He said, the request for signs is not a sign of faith, but of unbelief. Despite being clear about the will of God, being powered by the Spirit of God, and being confirmed as a divinely chosen leader by the overwhelming response of his countrymen to his own summons to battle, he uses every means available to try to get out of the mission to which he had been called. And yet God is a good God, right? God went ahead and answered Gideon's request. Gideon wrung out the fleece full bowl of water. There you have it. Gideon was pleased, right? Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. (laughs) Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Instead of following Gideon's example by asking God to show us signs before we obey, I think the real lesson here is that we serve a merciful God who puts up with a lot of our lack of faith. Amen? He puts up with a lot from us, and he overlooks a lot of our shortcomings. The fact that Gideon received a sign from God and still kept asking for more reveals a fundamental truth, and that is that a faith that tests God that is dependent upon signs and fleeces is a weak faith and won't believe God even when a sign is graciously granted. We see this in the New Testament, right? The Jews kept asking Jesus for more signs, right? Oh, hey, Jesus, do another miracle. Oh, that was cool. What you did there with the fish and food and stuff like that's awesome. Hey, could you raise this person? And that guy's blind. Can you do something there? She's not feeling well. Hey, Jesus, can you do that? And do this with the water. And while you're at it, we could use some more wine, you know? So they just wanted more and more and more signs in Jesus' You know, he did so many miracles and yet they crucified him. How much more could Jesus have done to prove that he was God and yet they crucified him? Rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. Rich man's there in Abraham's bosom, looks over at Hades. He's in torment in Hades. He looks over to Abraham's bosom and he says, hey, would you, would you send somebody back to tell my brothers, tell my family so they don't come to this place? And he said, listen, they've got the word of God. And they won't, if they won't believe the word of God, they're not gonna believe even if we send somebody back. Signs aren't gonna cut it. 
testing God to see whether or not he is faithful, attempting to blackmail God by making him give you a sign before you obey, asking him to do it on your timetable with your specifications is a pagan notion that shows a lack of trust in God. We have the word of God today. God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. So how do I know what God wants me to do? It's going to be revealed right here in God's word. He'll show you from his word. He'll confirm it with his spirit. We don't need dreams and visions and fleeces and signs to know God's will. We just need to be obedient to do what he's called us to do. He's clearly communicated how we're to live in the last days. He's communicated what we as the church are to do in our culture until Jesus comes back. We know what we need to do. The question is, are we going to do it? He's revealed his will in his word. He's looking for people who will trust him with their whole hearts and who will just say yes. So here, though this is unlikely hero series and we're talking about Gideon, the real hero of this story isn't Gideon. The real hero of this, hero of this story is God. That he is faithful in spite of our shortcomings and our doubts and our stubbornness. My challenge to you today is to obey God's call in your life. Say yes to God, to whatever it is he's leading you to do. And maybe this morning, he just tapped you on the shoulder and said, the first thing you need to go home is you need to go home and clean house. You need to deal with some idols in your life some addictions in your life that are keeping you from the ability to say yes because you're addicted to that, go home and deal with that. God may want to use you in a powerful way, but you've got to, you've got to get some things in order at home. Obey God's call without any conditions. No fleeces, no signs, no proofs. Just say yes. Say yes to God. And my friend, you, you might be the next unlikely hero. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so sorry for how many times, God, we've doubted you. And we haven't been obedient because we were looking for something more. Lord, we know we live in these last days and that Jesus' return is, is soon. He's coming back. God, you've, you've called your church, you've empowered your church, you've equipped your church. God, you've told us what to do, and yet we look for signs, and we wait, and we wonder. God, I pray that you'd give us a spirit of obedience, a spirit of repentance. God, that we would get rid of the idols in our lives, those things that would distract us, those things that would hold us back, and you'd give us the courage to say yes. Did you give us a spirit that says, okay, God, I'll go, I'll do it, I'll give it, I'll, I'll obey whatever it is you lead me and call me to do, God, the answer is yes. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts in this place this morning, that you'd speak to hearts of those who are listening to this as they're driving down the road or working out some morning. God, just speak to hearts. God, would you use us, use us to do great things in your kingdom. Father, what an honor and a privilege it is to be part of your family. So God, give us, give us courage. And God, I pray that you'd call some unlikely heroes out of Venture Church, and that you'd help us to spark a movement of God in Southwest Florida 
that you would help us to reach every man, woman, and child in this community with the gospel. And God, that everything that we do will be for your honor and for your glory. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.